Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Good Faith Idea Exchange. Well, up until now, there is one topic I hadn't really touched on uh, in this podcast. And that topic is religion. It's kind of, it's probably the one major topic that, you know, at times can be a bit controversial, um, depending on who's talking and who's listening. But um, it's really the one place I hadn't gone with this podcast until now. So for today, um, I'd like for you guys just to sit back and listen to this interview that um, that I had with uh, Reverend Dr. Jeremy Hall. It was just an incredible interview all the way around. He has been studying ministry for probably longer than uh, probably a couple of the younger listeners to this podcast have been alive. And he's been practicing ministry for well over 10 years. And his perspective and what he had to say is something you're just not going to hear anywhere else. So give it a listen. First of all, Jeremy, how are you doing today? And How's everything on your end? Hey, things are good. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, it's taken a while for us to be able to connect, so I'm really excited about being with you this evening. Uh, as far as things on my end, they're, they're as good as I can hope for. I've got two sick kids at home, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, but such is the life of a parent. Absolutely. If you're um, a praying person, dear listener, pray for me. <laughs> Understood. Understood, sir. Um, yeah, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and they're both sick at the same time. Mm-hmm. That does not sound fun at all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I, it, it's funny because I was just telling you um, before we got on, you know, how my day went and everything. But uh, it sounds like it hasn't been so peaches and cream <laughs> for you either, you know? Yeah, well... Like I said, it's the cost of admission some days. Right. Right, exactly. I would agree. So, um, all right. Well, so just jumping right into it, um, Jeremy, first, if you could just tell me a little bit about your background and, you know, what brought you down the path to speak, you know, to speak very frankly about the Bible and Christianity in the contemporary world. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'm I'm original. I am a Southerner. I am living in the South right now. Okay. Uh, me and my family are in Atlanta. We are my wife and I are both originally from Pensacola, Florida. So no, Northwest Florida, also known as L.A. Lower Alabama. And uh, I really? was raised to be a good fundamentalist evangelical Christian. For those of y'all who don't keep track of the teams, that's the mean kind. Um, I was raised with an understanding of the world, of God, of politics, of the Bible, of religion, of church, where everything had a clear and obvious and final answer. And to disagree with any of those answers handed to you or to question them, well, that's anathema. You'll get kicked out of the club for that. And everyone knew someone who had been kicked out of, uh, of the club, so you didn't want to be that guy because it's ugly and you would you'd lose all sorts of network and contacts and 
friends and family over such things. And so I was raised to be very good at knowing all the answers. And that worked for me. That works for a child. Um, A lot of people think that's the way to teach faith to a child. I would disagree. Um, But I was very comfortable in my certainty. Knowing everything just so was very nice for me. I started my move towards ministry and that career path with sort of self-righteous motivations. I knew that I was more serious about this stuff than everyone else around me, more serious than my peers, maybe more serious than my elders, maybe more serious than my pastor. And so I'm, I was pretty sure that meant I was supposed to go into ministry. And I have. I have been single-mindedly pursuing this vocational path that I find myself on for the last 15, 16, 17 years. Oh, wow. Uh, since high school. Um, to get to where I am today. But if um, if I jumped in a time machine and popped back to talk to that young man, uh, that 15-year-old who's saying, yes, God, I will be a pastor uh, for your kingdom and your glory, that guy would hate me. Um, that, that teenage yeah. version of me thinks that I am an apostate, that I am a heretic, that I am an enemy. I see. So that would be a fun conversation. <laughs> well, I have well, conversations I mean, like that often. Okay. <laughs> I see. I mean, I imagine it would be an interesting conversation to have with yourself. But, uh, you know, I guess, you know, the obvious question, you know, quickly becomes like what, and I'm sure you're going to tell me this anyway, you know, as we talk, but, um, you know, what began to kind of, I guess, open you up yeah, what um, happened? Yeah, you know, <laughs> the big what happened, you know? Yeah, the the short... So today, we would call it deconstruction. That's a word floating around in our vocabulary as a culture. In the West, I deconstructed my faith. At the time, we didn't have a word that so clearly described it. But I went to school. I went to uh, Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama to study religion and was very blessed to sit under highly trained professors who were also people of faith. It was It's a Christian school. They were people of faith, and they were people who cared about me as a person and as a Christian. So they lovingly tore all this certainty away from me by teaching those first steps of how the Bible works, what it actually is, and seeing the history of, of how Christians at different times and places have engaged with the tradition and the text, because it's not its not a monolith. The mm-hmm. idea of most evangelical Christians is that the way that they think and believe is the way that true Christians always have, when really that movement is very new on the grand timeline of the church. And so being exposed to these things was the first sort of steps in my deconstructing and laying down my being a jerk about uh, all of my certainty and starting to open up to being okay with ambiguity and with questions. Uh, So I went to Samford for my BA. Uh, From there, did my master's in theology with a concentration in social ethics and then a doctor of ministry in justice and peacemaking 
at Mercer University in Georgia. And they catapulted me even deeper into that journey. So I have had the opportunity to have access to just incredible tools to be able to take apart the parts of my faith that weren't actually working and rebuild something functional and life-giving for me. And that's what I teach and pastor out of, because I've, I've gone to a place in my career where I am a minister. I, uh, I preach at least twice a month all around the South. I've got a couple books out. I do some podcast stuff, and I get to teach at uh, the seminary that formed me. So that those are all very meaningful things that I get to do that are... And Jeremy, I, I, yeah. I just have to say, um, something that you had just said a moment ago, um, take out the parts of your faith that weren't working. Um, you know, that right there is, is um, you know, such a powerful thing to say. Um, I think that I think that right there, you know, to probably to some people would just be, you know, they might be thinking like, whoa, what? You know, um, right? Yeah. So, um, can you kind of is is there a little bit more you can say about say to, about that? Or yeah. So we're we are all handed systems and forms and worldviews to inhabit. None of us get to build from tabula rasa. We've all got something that our parents give us, that our communities give us, just. The language that you speak encodes the way you think. And so we are given all of these gifts, but not all of them are good for us. Right. And so we have to learn how we as individuals are going to live in this collective, in the communities that we find ourselves in. And a lot of times the things that were given to us as well-meaning as they were, as precious as they are, as much of a gift as they are, some of that is sort of part of your history, but it doesn't have to be part of your future. So there were things, like I've mentioned certainty a few times, a cornerstone of the version of Christianity that I was handed was that there are single correct answers, and we have them, and only we have them. <clears throat> the, the church down the street doesn't have them. The Catholics over there don't have them. The Orthodox don't have them. The other religions don't have them. Only Southern evangelical fundamentalists know Jesus, really. And that can get you to certain places. But if if you want to go deeper, you're going to have to shed. One of the first things to go is going to have to be that certainty to make room for mystery. That's been the biggest theme, at least one of the biggest themes in Christian thought, philosophy, theology, and spirituality is the idea of mystery. That's been the cornerstone, and much of the West, um, really post-modernity, not those words were too close together, since the modern movement, the movement of modernity, that caused us to reject a lot of mystery because the church felt embattled, we felt attacked, by science and reason and all of the developments in the world, we felt like they were taking things away from the church. So we switched from God is beautiful, eternal mystery into God is X, Y, and Z, and I can prove it with a formula mm. to, gotcha. to prove that we still had a place and to put up sort of um, levies 
to keep the water out. Because the water, we felt like the floodwaters were rising all around the church, and we had to simultaneously beat them back and keep them out, while proving that we still had something to say in the conversation. Okay. Um, wow. And so we, we developed certainty as a technology to protect our institutions and our convictions against what we thought was a secular age coming to take God away from us. And you, and, and in a way, I guess you can, you know, obviously feel like that certainty has run so long that, um, you know, it's a part of our contemporary world right, right it, it now is. as we see it. Um, well, Jeremy, I want to, um, I wanted to just ask you this, um, in your own words, um, you know, could you tell us, you know, just what is the Bible and how does it work? Awesome. So I'm a big Bible nerd. Um, that's not true of all ministers. It's not true of everyone teaching in seminary or teaching in theology or religion or Bible departments, but I am a Bible nerd and a Bible lover. And I, the Bible is a library. It is not a monolith. It is not a single thing. Um, depending on what your background, your tradition, which version of Christianity you're engaged in, um, your Bible might have different books in it. I come out of the Protestant tradition. I am a Baptist. My Bible has 66 books. Those 66 books are written on multiple continents in three languages by homeless crazy people and kings sitting in total comfort by people on the top and people on the bottom, people ruling empires and people living in exile. And all of them are responding to the experience of having encountered something. There's sort of that parable of the blind men touching the elephant going on that the, the king in his palace and the homeless prophet on the street are experiencing the same reality, but in very different ways. And in the Bible, they talk to each other. A lot of people get really, really hung up on contradictions in the Bible, because here's another technology that we came up with in the Western church. This is a Western modern idea. We call it infallibility, that the Bible in its written form when it's not being tampered with is completely correct, mm, okay. like factually right. Anything yeah. it says is the truth, right. period, full stop, game over. That's the end. We can go home. And that also, that makes, I'm an ethics guy. That makes ethics really easy, right? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And that's as far as that conversation goes. But the Bible doesn't work like that. And people, when they actually start to read it and study it, a lot of them discover that it doesn't work that way. And it really freaks them out because suddenly the Bible that can't be wrong is in contradiction with itself. But I propose that the Bible is not in contradiction. It's in conversation. Hmm. These 66 okay. books usually are aware of each other. We forget that as people reading the Bible. These people know about each other. A lot of them are contemporaries. They have some of these other books and letters and documents as they are writing theirs. And a lot of people writing these books have no idea that what they're writing is going to be scripture. 
a third of the New Testament is us reading someone else's mail. They didn't think they were writing the Bible. Wow. We figured that out later. We, we, uh, as one of my professors likes to say, we kept the books that worked. Wow. There's a process of thousands and thousands of years that produced the Bible. In, in the time of Jesus, there was not an Old Testament yet. Mm. When Jesus yeah. comes on the scene in first century Judea, Palestine, there is not a set Old Testament that all of his religion agrees on. The Jews hadn't finished it yet. They were still arguing about what should be in and what should be out. And it took Christians hundreds of years to do that too. So it's important not to think of it like it descended from heaven on a cloud or was given supernaturally to us as a single thing. It is people from places and experiences being brought together over time because the books worked. You got into the library because there was power in the story you were telling or the sermon you wrote or the letter you shared that it does something when it's read and when it's shared, that it was useful, that it was meaningful, that it was powerful. So we collected these and some of them are intentionally in opposition to each other, especially in the old Testament. We have books like first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. They're telling the same stories from different perspectives and they disagree with each other about details and they do it on purpose. It's really, it's really important. It's so hard for us from our moment in time to realize that the ancient writers, and this is true of most ancient writers generally, they, they're not historians. They are not concerned with giving you facts. They are more concerned with telling you the truth. And so when Kings is being written, that's the book about the kings of the Jewish kingdoms, it's being written in the courts of the kings. This is the official records. They say really nice things about the kings. Chronicles are the people writing about their history. They don't say nice things about the kings. So who is one of them lying? No, they're different sides of a conversation. So like Kings tells us that here's someone everyone knows. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know the name Solomon. The wisest man who ever lived. The son of the great King David. He really turns Israel into an empire. Um, he builds the temple. He builds the great cities. He builds the palaces. He builds the military. Solomon, the great. And if you read his book, Kings, it's going to tell you lots of wonderful things that he did and all the battles he won. If you read Chronicles, it will tell you that when he goes to build his palace and the great fortress cities where his uh, armies will be garrisoned and the temple, the, the house of God, the, the place where Adonai will live, the God who's the, the formational story for the Jewish people is that God saved them out of slavery. When, when Solomon goes to build that God, the liberating God, a house, he does it with slave labor. Chronicles tells us that, not Kings. All right. And this concludes part one of my interview with Reverend Dr. Jeremy Hall. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. Um, I know that, you know, this is definitely a, 
a very sensitive topic for a lot of people, you know, especially, you know, talking about something as um, personal as touching on our faith, touching on religion, touching on Christianity, Christianity and uh, the modern world and how, you know, our understanding of it, our perspectives, you know, how each of us, each of our, you know, our backgrounds, where we come from, our cultures, how it impacts our faith and how it impacts ultimately who we are. It, it's, um, it's very interesting. And, um, we're going to delve deeper into this in um, the upcoming parts. I hope you guys will be here for it. And um, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Have a great day, everyone.